And we have tonight, once again, Pastor Ka'e'o. So everyone give him a hand. Uh, I'm excited to get into our talk once again. It's been so good. I was actually listening back, and I've just been really super blessed, you know, <laughs> and everything that you shared, and nothing to edit, so no worry. No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All <laughs> but, over the place. No, nah, not at all. But uh, before we do uh, get into that, I do want to um, just a couple announcements, remind you guys that this Friday night, uh, we have our couples fellowship. Uh, it's going to be at our house, 7 p.m., and it's just been a great time for us as couples to just... Uh, Pastor Stephen shares a little bit in the Word, and then we just really talk about the Word. We just do like, I was thinking, oh, it's like we do inductive study all together, and we're just fellowshipping over the Word, and it's so great to be able to do that. I, I just think it's, it's a great opportunity, because everyone hears me all the time. They're tired of hearing me. But, you know, to be able to have discussion and fellowship and conversate over the Word, it, it, there's nothing, you know, like that, especially as Christians. So Friday night... You're invited too, but <laughs> and your wife. Um, and then Saturday we will uh, also have our prayer meeting. We say that every week, and I say that every week because I really want you guys to come. Uh, we have a group of us meeting from four to five on Saturday afternoon, and it's just been a rich time of prayer, being in the Holy Spirit, and just going before the Lord. And you know, as we were singing tonight in the worship, um, God a revival. I mean, I was just so touched by that. And you guys probably have been seeing in the news or social media about the uh, Asbury, you know, revival going on in the colleges and not just there, but different areas. And, and um, you know, it's so awesome that we see the Holy Spirit move like that. And uh, maybe Saturday afternoon from 4 to 5, you know, maybe we'll never stop praying. No, but uh, <laughs> you never know. But, you know, we want to seek the Lord on that, even for our own island, that God would touch us all with the Spirit and do a revival like that of our hearts. And, and I don't know, maybe it's the last great push, you know, of God bringing a revival to, you know, uh, this island and this this world, our country, uh, being a people coming to be saved, Christians getting right with the Lord, you know, maybe this last push of the Lord to where then Jesus returns. And I think that's his mercy and grace. I really do, you know, because he doesn't want anyone left behind. He, he, he wants everyone to be there, to people to be saved. So uh, it could be just that. So I don't know. I'm not a prophet in that sense, but but let's take a hold of the opportunities we have today, you know, whether it's couples fellowship or men's, women's, coming church, you know, even being able to meet here or connect online, you know, or, or come to prayer, you know, Saturday. It's more important than ever that we join together in prayer and fellowship. So anyway, enough of that. We want to get to Pastor Kael and tonight I'm excited, but first of all, we have to say congratulations on the new baby, yeah, thank you, thank you. yeah, to you and Taryn, yeah, and the baby's name Abby May. Abby May. Abby yeah. May. After my two grandmas. Oh, right on, <laughs> right on. Um, tell us a little about Abby May. Um, um, how many pounds, ounces? Six pounds, fourteen ounces, which is three ounces bigger than her brother, and nineteen inches, and full head of hair and yeah beautiful you know prototype baby prototype <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i so, like that yeah and right she's then. doing good and mama and her are resting at home so oh good they're much more tired than me but oh yeah we're all, yeah. Uh, yeah getting used to uh, well we sure do appreciate you being here oh and, yeah and um tell taryn thank you for allowing you to come too <laughs> and to be with us uh, uh, so blessed you know for you guys and excited you know uh number two yeah boy and girl yeah. now one and one one and one yeah there might be more later you know but anyway yeah, take a miracle yeah my wife is uh, <laughs> that's it that's it so you know but remember god might have planned yeah oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. well um uh, again, thank you. And before we get into, uh, we'll kind of slide into the, you know what we're going to talk about tonight. But I, I do want to go back and 
and and uh, if you can share mm-hmm. this ministry, the what you have about, uh, let me say this, mo'olelo uh, ku'io, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you can share once again for maybe some new people, you know, connecting or just remind us again about that. Yeah, so mo'olelo uh, ku'io means uh, the true story or the true history. And uh, our ministry seeks to uh, attempt to tell the story of uh, Christianity in Hawaii. And we do so by presenting uh, primary source documents and collecting artifacts from from that era. So anywhere from 1778 to around 1900, we try and buy up and collect as much stuff that has to do with Christianity from that time. And we use our mobile museum as a platform to not only share the story of Christianity in Hawaii, but most importantly, to present the gospel uh, to people. And our target audience really are um, people like myself who grew up with uh, a story that turns out it wasn't entirely true. And the story we grew up with was that Christianity and the Christians, the missionaries, forced themselves into Hawaii um, forced their religion and their culture upon us, stole our language and our traditions, um, took our land, and eventually uh, took our kingdom and all of our problems in modern Hawaii as Native Hawaiians is somehow rooted in in that. And that's a story that I grew up with. And um, as a Christian Hawaiian, it really puts you in a compromising position when you believe that story because you're now forced to choose between your faith in Christ or allegiance to your people that have been wronged by that very group of Christ followers. And so for me, when life was hard, I made a decision to choose Jesus uh, at any cost, even if it meant my reputation amongst my own peers and my own culture and uh, all of the things that I really cared about. I was willing to give those up if it meant that I could follow Christ Um, which I think is what the Lord is calling us all to do, no matter what it is we got. Um, If we're not willing to give it up for Jesus, then where does the rubber meet the road with our faith? And so because of his grace, I was willing to follow him, even if it meant being a traitor. But I always felt like that. I always felt like somehow I was turning my back on being Hawaiian and turning my back on my friends and my ancestors and and all of that. Um, And it wasn't until... A few years into ministry, uh, on staff at a church, before I finally heard the story of Henry Opukahaia and the pioneer Christian uh, missionaries, Hawaiian missionaries, and the ali'i who gave their lives to Christ. And when I did, it really um, changed my life. And so I, I, I usually say the two very significant moments of my spiritual life, first one, I decided to give my heart to Jesus Um, and secondly the day that he gave my culture back to me that it was okay to be uh, Hawaiian and love Jesus just like many of my ali'i before me just like most of our kupuna in the kingdom of Hawaii and now knowing that I was compelled to share it with other not only Hawaiians but other people and so mo'olelo ku'io is built off of that Uh, just our attempt to um, tell the story of Christianity in Hawaii because we know so many um, local people uh, have a hard time giving Jesus a chance because of the atrocities of the overthrow and the part that self-professing Christians played in all of that. So that's basically what we try and do. And uh, we are developing curriculum for Christian schools. We're publishing books. We got Instagram and all the fancy stuff and t-shirts with jared and all that so yeah god's been um faithful as always and allowed us to do some pretty cool things in the last couple of years so awesome and and with this um uh uh, ministry i guess you could say you've been also collecting things right yeah artifacts and papers and uh, documents and books and really he looks like a pastor, but he's really one uh, <laughs> yeah, archaeologist, historian, <laughs> collector. Yeah. a collector, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, tell us a little yeah. bit about, well, about that collection. Well, because it's such a hard pill to swallow for most of us, you know, that m- maybe 
Christ is not to blame for all of our problems in Hawaii. Uh, because that was so hard for people like myself to accept, it needed to be backed by strong evidence, which is what we've collected. It's not just our opinion that the kingdom of Hawaii was Christian and that the people of Hawaii were Christian. It's not just our opinion. It's a documented, well-documented fact. Uh, and really to dispute the Christianization of Hawaii is kind of ridiculous because at one point in our history, we were uh, overwhelmingly Christian and recognized globally as, as per capita the most Christian nation on earth. And no credible historians really debate that. We, we will talk about, uh, you know, people will talk about um, the negative aspects of Christianity coming in. But it's really, uh, you can't really contest the fact that the kingdom of Hawaii was Christian. We can talk about the negative aspects of Christianity if you people want to or the bad things that the Christians did. But the fact of the matter is that most Hawaiians, over 95% of them, decided to put their faith in Jesus Christ and they chose him as their Lord and Savior over the religion that their um, predecessors had followed for many generations. So that's just, no matter how you slice it, it's just fact. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's exciting to know and it's something I've tried to research on my own, find things out. It got me excited like, oh, look, there was a revival going on in Hawaii yeah. back then. Now, Let's back up a little bit. I know this is our third time, and we've gone through uh, a lot of the history and how it came to be. I just want to back up because one thing um, that you said last time I thought was so cool is that the first missionaries who came were really Hawaiian. Yeah. Explain that. Yeah. Well, the the first uh, batch of American missionaries that came from America were actually Native Hawaiians, so... The, the story of Henry Opukahai is fairly well-known now, probably better known in Connecticut than it is in, in Hawaii, believe it or not. But um, a lot of people now know the story of Opukahai who left Hawaii and ends up in the, the midst of the Second Great Awakening in uh, New England. And um, he's surrounded by just amazing Christian men like Samuel John Mills Jr., um, Timothy Dwight, uh, a bunch of, of American guys that for the first time in American history start to understand that Christianity means loving your neighbor as yourself and that means no prejudice, no racism, no slavery, none of that stuff. And so Opukahaia, um, really because of, of God's grace on him, finds himself in America in the midst of a really amazing time in American history. Um, he becomes a member of the Foreign Mission School alongside Thomas Hopu, his friend who he left Hawaii with, uh, John Honolii, William Kanui, and the son of King Kaumualii on Kauai, who's uh, George Humehume Kaumualii. Um, and they all end up at this school. And um, after Henry is educated, by the time he's 26 years old, he's amassed what we would... Um, consider a, a doctorate level education from the Yale seminary students who he is being taught by. Um, and he has wait, one great ambition along with Samuel John Mills Jr. and the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, and that's to take the gospel and the word of Christ back to his own countrymen in Hawaii. Uh, sadly, Opukahaia and Mills both die, and it seems like the mission to Hawaii is going to die with them except for the fact that after Opukahaia's death, his diary is found and published under the title The Memoirs of Henry Obugaya, and it becomes the number one most distributed, most uh, popular book behind the Bible in all of New England. So you're talking about a lot of copies of this young Hawaiian man's diary. And because of what's written in the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia, uh, Americans begin to take interest in sending a mission to Hawaii, which is later accomplished by Thomas Hopu, John Honolii, William Kanui, the classmates and, and best friends of Opukahaia, who in 1820 do successfully bring the gospel. And so, yeah, uh, one very hidden fact about Christianity's arrival in Hawaii is that the native Hawaiians were really the pioneer missionaries. And it makes sense when you think about it. Hiram Bingham doesn't speak Hawaiian. 
Asa Thurston doesn't speak Hawaiian. They don't know who is in charge. They don't know the geography, the traditions. They really would have been quite useless on the mission field without um, Native Hawaiians at the helm, really. So that's something we weren't told. And we always blamed the American missionaries for a lot of things. Um, but in so doing, we were also blaming our Hawaiian brothers because uh, mm. they were the ones. It, it was Hopu and Kanui and Honoli'i who uh, made the first interactions with the Ali'i. They were the, one, the ones that arranged the meetings. They were the ones that did all of the translating and all of the talking. And even the early translating of the Bible uh, was done by them and Tawa and, and the Tahitian. So not only Hawaiian Christian influence, but also Tahitian Christian influence, um, which came via Reverend Willem Ellis and uh, the London Missionary Society. And he had a, a Tahitian Christian uh, as a part of his crew named Tawa. And he's the one that baptized Queen Keopuolani. So... Um, yeah, Polynesians are definitely at the forefront of the Christianization of Hawaii. <gasps> there I say. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get false for stuff like that, but it's, it's just documented fact. Yeah, so so um, last time we talked about that, about the missionaries coming, the, the Hawaiians with them leading that team. And then um, we talked about Queen Kaumanu and Keopolani. Mm -hmm. Uh, we talked a lot about them, the Li'i getting saved, um, and then people are getting saved, mm -hmm. right, in Jesus Christ, they're being witnessed to. Um, so how did this kingdom of Hawaii, you know, become, like, known as a Christian nation? Mm. Well, um, before it was known as a Christian nation globally, it actually became a Christian nation internally. Mm. So... Um, what happened was when the missionaries first came, the Ali'i recognized the value of literacy and of the Word of God. And so they instituted literacy programs. So learning how to read and write became something everyone had to do. But the only uh, vehicle of literacy was the Bible. And so Hawaiians learned not only how to read and write, but they learned about the Christian faith directly from the Scriptures itself, which is unique in... in um, you know the Christianization of a of a country. Usually, what happens is a missionary comes in with the scriptures, and maybe gives the people some of the word of God. Usually, filtered through their own cultural bias, and sometimes they'll simply withhold elements of the word of God to for their own self benefit. We've seen that throughout world history in many countries all over the globe. What's unique about um, Hawaii's story? is that because of the literacy programs, Hawaiians were coming to faith in Christ without uh, that filter of American missionary bias. And, you know, that's an amazing thing, that people would take their knowledge of the living God from his own word rather than from people like you and I or anybody else that, that claims to be a representative of Christ. So that happened, and nearly 95 or over 95% of all the people became um, born-again, baptized, Bible-literate Protestant Christians in Hawaii um, by the mid-1800s. What were they? Uh, you said they were reading and writing. Is, is it Hawaiian Bible? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Hawaiian Bible. So amazing work of the missionaries um, is that they were successful in creating a Hawaiian alphabet, of course, with tremendous aid from the Hawaiians and, and, and the Tahitians. But they were successful in creating an alphabet and a written language for us. And, and because of that, uh, the Bible was able to spread rapidly and really successfully in Hawaii. Wow. So by the time we hit around 1839, outside pressures from other countries are starting to, to mount in Hawaii. And King Kawikioli recognizes the need for Hawaii's uh, independence to be recognized globally and so he takes it upon himself to to accomplish that by sending out a team of uh, Reverend William Richards, Reverend uh, Timoteo Ha'alileo and the trip was funded by uh, a man named George, uh, Sir George Simpson they call the um, the Emperor of the North he was the, the governor of the Hudson Bay Company if you've ever heard of the HBC um, he wasn't just the CEO of a company. He was basically one of the most powerful world leaders on earth. Oh. 
and he he donated ten thousand English pounds to fund uh, this trip for Ha'alilio and um, Richards to meet with global leaders and have them sign the treaties of recognition with Hawaii. And, and they were successful in doing that. And Hawaii becomes the first non-European country on earth to be globally recognized as an independent nation. Yeah. Wow. And uh, to put it in, in perspective, um, in 1793, when the kingdom of Hawaii was being overthrown, was the first year that Japan was recognized with the same status as the Kingdom of Hawaii had been 50 years prior. Oh. So that's how progressive Hawaii was. They were, they were you know, recognized before Japan, and we know how big and powerful and, and well-known Japan is. But, uh, yeah, that was how Hawaii was recognized, and largely because of the fact that they were a Christian nation. The European nations wouldn't have recognized their independence if they were not what they considered civilized and civilized meant Christian to them. So no matter what you think of that, that was the, the prerequisite to being recognized by many of these countries. Um, so that's what happened. Yeah. So um, the, the kingdom of Hawaii now recognizes a Christian nation. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned before, and we, you've talked to me, and I think I remember at our house you were sharing like the Constitution and everything you shared, yeah. Yeah, I can read a little bit of the Constitution for you. Again, this was um, drafted in 1839 and ratified in 1840. And at the time, King Kamehameha III is uh, what we consider uh, an absolute monarch. So he is where the buck stops. There's, no one can contest what he says. And he willfully drafts this Constitution, which um, lessens his authority as king and, and gives more authority to, to the people. And this is a section of it. Um, it is therefore our fixed decree that no law shall be enacted which is at variance with the word of the Lord Jehovah or at variance with the general spirit of his word. All laws of the island shall be in consistency with the general spirit of God's law. So, our first constitution said we're not going to pass any laws that conflict with the word of God. And if that's not enough, if the Holy Spirit discerns, we're not going to pass any laws that conflict <laughs> with that either. So um, that's not shallow um, doctrine. That's, that's you know, a sound understanding of how our faith works. And um, King Kamehameha III uh, willfully decided to have that be part of the constitution. Can you imagine if our America was like that? <laughs> yeah, and when you read the you read the what they call the Hawaiian Constitution, it, it sounds a lot like uh, you know what the American Constitution sounds mm -hmm. like, except it's much more evangelical in nature. Wow! So yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, yeah, yeah. and not very often talked about the fact that we were declared a Christian nation by our King, you know. The, the son of Kamehameha the Great in Keopulani, whose word could not be contested by any living person in Hawaii. And he decided to do that. Wow. Well, what, what year was that drafted or accepted? 1840. 1840. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So in 20 years, the whole nation yeah. became Yeah. Christian. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading stories of Titus Cohen. We mm -hmm. talked about him before on the Big Island and and how thousands, you know, Hawaiians would... Yeah. He'd go from village to village, witness Christ. And, Basically, yeah. Hilo Town grew to what it is now because of the Titus Cohen revivals. Uh, when he moved and built the church in Hilo, it grew uh, over 10,000 people almost immediately. So Hilo today is largely um, because of, of the move of the Holy Spirit and the work of... Uh, Titus Cohen. This is what Cohen said. He said, Time swept on. The work deepened and widened. Thousands on thousands thronged the courts of the Lord. All eastern and southern Hawaii were like a sea in motion. Waimea, Hamakua, Kohala, Kona, and the other islands of the group were moved. Everywhere the trumpet of Jubilee sounded long and loud, and as clouds and as doves to their windows, so ransomed sinners flocked to Christ. Wow. Titan Cohen, 1837. Isn't that awesome? Wow, to, to yeah. think of that. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, who knows? Might have been like John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. right, right. I don't know if it's true. Is what well, I think I was reading the the church there in Hilo wasn't it like the largest in the country or something like that? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That might maybe, be. Yeah. Maybe. I maybe. mean, considering our I mean, population, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? And that's where they get the whole uh, most Christian nation on earth. Uh, obviously, we didn't have the most Christians. Because yeah. we only had a small population, but per capita, um, nearly yeah, yeah. all of our citizens were Christian. Yeah, yeah. So biggest church in the country, um, and possibly in many parts of the world. Yeah, for yeah. our population, definitely. Yeah. I mean, even in modern Hawaii, if you had a church of ten thousand. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, you would just have a huge, huge, huge. That's huge giant church. for Hawaii. Yeah. Now, um, there must have been some challenges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between 1820 and 1840, um, there was there. Um, talk about some opposition to Christianity, or was it, you know was some of the priests or the old ways? Yeah. You know, was, well, the the Christianity being advocated for by Keopuolani and Heva Heva and Kaahumanu and all of those um, revered Ali'i, really helped to lessen the grip of, of the kapu in the hearts of the people. According to the old traditions, Keopulani was a goddess on earth. And for her to recognize Christ as superior and denounce her own deity, um, that spoke volumes um, to the Hawaiian people. So, th- of course, there would have been some, especially on Hawaii Island, that clung tighter to um, the old superstitions, um, and the first few years of the mission were slow going. Mm. I mean, we look at from 1820 to 1840. Wow, you became a Christian nation in 20 years. Yeah, but the first several years weren't like that. The first several years were kind of a struggle for Bingham and Thurston and, and a lot of the, the early missionaries. Um, and then I guess uh, the best story of opposition would probably be with uh, Chiefess Kapiolani who um, challenged Pele in the volcano, which is a story oh, that many story. people know about, but well-documented story. Um, you can find it in um, Rufus Anderson writes a book called uh, The Sandwich Island Mission, um, and he documents the story of Kapiolani going up to um, Hale Ma'oma'u and uh, basically mocking Pele and, and a priest of Pele coming to, to challenge her and her rebuking the priest, and then descending down um, to just above the lava itself, where she told the people, all over a hundred witnesses, mind you, she said, if Pele can consume me, then worship her. But if she cannot, then we worship Jehovah. And she was not consumed by the fire. So, yeah, there was opposition, but I think um, many of the, the Ali'i made so such strong statements about their Christian faith um, that people were were really starting to accept it. There was a lot of opposition um, from foreigners. So the whalers and and a lot of of the merchants and the sailors did not want Christianity gaining a foothold in the Hawaiian Islands because if it did, that meant a prohibition on alcohol, on prostitution, and all of these things that they wanted to do and that's a pretty well documented story too or Hoapili writes um, letters to Kaahumanu talking about how the the men are taking prostitutes on the ship and he's just he's not going to stand for it he's willing to actually go to war with with England over the fact that uh, they're taking prostitutes on the ship and it's a it's a real testament to his conversion uh, to Christianity because Hoapili was one of Kamehameha the Great's right hand men Wow. And he's called Ho, you know, he's named Hoapili by Kamehameha. His birth name was Ulumahehe, and Hoapili is like my best friend. So Kamehameha gives him that name, and now post the death of Kamehameha and his conversion to Christianity, he's now fighting for the liberation of two Hawaiian women that are being prostituted. Wow. 
and um, that was met with sh with sharp opposition from the, the sailors who actually um, threatened to fire the cannons and they burnt Hiram Bingham's house and you know so uh, it wasn't opposition just from Hawaiians but opposition from um, you know non-Jesus loving yeah. foreigners as well yeah. yeah wow but for the most part I mean God was moving yeah so the for the most part people in the land accepted the yeah, every, yeah. yeah for the most part a lot of people began to give their lives to Christ and it it's really understandable why they would when you consider the restriction, um, you know, the legalistic lifestyle of the kapu system where the caste system rules and then on top of that, the, you know, the prohibition, you can't eat certain things, women and men can't eat together. You know, if, if the elite's uh, shadow falls on you, your whole ahupua'a gets put to death. You know, things like that were a very real part of life under the kapu. And so I can imagine, and again, now I'm drifting into to my own, you know, philosophy. And this is not documented Hawaiian history, but this is just the way I think and feel. That if you are Makainana and your whole life was um, in service to um, the Ali'i and you just knew that they were better than you. That's, that's something that you grew up with. That they were superior to you because they were the kings and they were the queens. And now... The gospel comes in, and the message is that you're also the son of a king, mm. that you're also Ali'i. And now I can stand in a prayer circle with Ka'ahumanu, whereas before, if she looked at me, I would be dead. Yeah. And that message would have been appealing to a people that had been living under the harsh you know, yeah. lifestyle of the kapu system. Yeah. I just imagine you know, Hawaiians seeing men and women eating together and... And you know stuff like that was probably very, yeah, you know, like, like the burdens lifted, the chains are broken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You last time you came afterwards, we were talking, but you confirmed something that I felt like um, we talked about the aloha spirit, you mm -hmm. know, that we talk about in Hawaii today, and I always thought, well. You know, how that's defined seems to match what's in the Bible about agape love, yeah, mm. unconditional love. And and do you, th we talked about this, but I'll ask you, do you think the aloha that's known, you know, in Hawaii has roots in the Christianity that came? On a personal level, I would believe that and say yeah. that, but that would be that would be sharply, you know, contested by yeah. by Olelo Hawaii um, Kumus and oh, okay. the, they would they would probably say that Aloha existed before Christianity. Oh, okay. So as a Christian, yeah, we would want to lay claim yeah. to that, but I try and stick to things that we can find documented. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so it would be hard for me as a you know to say when Christianity came, that's when the real Aloha came. Yeah. Because that's when you get that's when people would disagree <laughs> with that but i think we would agree with that i see you yeah. know i think we yeah. would agree with that okay but, i won't quote you on that either. yeah don't quote no. me <laughs> i mean i, I want to leave room for for people to you know the hawaiians love the word aloha yeah and um it's it's the core value of the hawaiian people and yeah. for um us as christians to say that belongs to us and not to you that would be offensive yeah them, so yeah. but I, I i do truly believe um, that the love of Christ, uh, regardless of if you call it aloha or not, that the love of Christ came in with the gospel. Amen. And that was Amen. the most important thing. Yeah. Um, Amen. Yeah. Amen. And I, and I got to believe that the love of Christ is, is not hinging on your ethnicity or your right. culture. Right. So eh, everybody right. get aloha. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in Christ. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And, and then um, we were talking, I forget if it was actually during the, the time, last time or afterwards, but um, there was a point where um, the missionaries left because... Yeah, well, there, there came a time where the mission was complete, and those are the words of Hiram Bingham and um, Rufus Anderson. The R Rufus Anderson was charged with the responsibility of assessing whether or not Hawaii was... Uh, no longer a mission station, right? There's a difference between a mission and a Christian nation. And so um, upon uh, further inspection, he did, he did declare Hawaii a Christian nation and no longer a mission field. 
And that's where all of the problem kind of starts. Because the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, despite you know, their imperfections, were a fairly good organization that had um, godly intentions. They wanted to bring the gospel to Hawaii, and they wanted to leave the leadership of the church with the Hawaiian people. And that's repeated time and time again by Rufus Anderson in his letters to uh, the citizens of Hawaii. That statement that Hawaii was now completely Christian and no longer a mission ground um, was not, sh- that, that perspective was not shared by the members of the Ahahui Wanaleo o Hawaii, also known as the Hawaiian Evangelical Association, which was primarily non-Hawaiian. And what they did was try and convince the American public and the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions that the Hawaiians were not Christian enough to be left in charge of the churches or their own country, that that authority should remain with white Americans because they were more Christian, at least according to themselves, which was completely ridiculous because the kingdom of Hawaii had been declared Christian in, um, eight, in the 1840s. So by the overthrow in the 1890s, to be saying that Hawaii is not Christian is just um, ridiculous. But they were quite successful in overthrowing the monarchy. And that's where the Pilikia comes in, is that members of the church, people that called themselves Christians, began to undermine um, the monarchy, and they began to um, talk down on the Christianity of the Hawaiian people. You guys aren't really Christians. You guys are just like, kind of, but not really. Not enough where you should be left in charge. And I do have a bunch of uh, crazy quotes. If you want to hear, this is the thing, yeah. Jesus is perfect. We're not. And we are the church. And many of us fail. And many of us do a very good job of misrepresenting the perfection of Jesus Christ. And that is certainly the case with the Christians and with the missionaries in Hawaii. Um, but that's not what they were trying to tell. They were trying to tell people that Jesus was perfect. They were never trying to say that they were. Um, but I think as a church in Hawaii, what we have to do is acknowledge the wrongs of people that flew the same banner as us. Mm. They claimed to be Christians. They were baptized. They were members of the churches. And so, you know, some people say, oh, they weren't real Christians, right? Well, I have, I have friends that are... Um, non-Christians that say, wait a second, you can't say they're non-Christian. They're part of the church. They're baptized. They profess faith in Christ. You guys need to claim them as your own. You can't just kick them out of the club now. And, and that's true. We need to acknowledge that the bride of Christ continues to be flawed and, and Jesus continues to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But we did some terrible things. I'm speaking as, as a Christian, you know, we and... Uh, our people did some terrible things in Hawaii, and that needs to be acknowledged too. And I will, uh, I will read some of those things for you right now. Um, Can you wait just one second before you go on to that? Yeah. Uh, so, but there was that um, point in time where was it Bingham told the mission yeah, board? Yeah, missions complete. Recall mission the missionaries. Complete. Yeah, there's no the more Christians. No more Christians. Isn't that a great? No, no more like, non-Christians. Yeah, yeah, what a what a great you know. Yeah, and I always say place to get to like, well, we we've done our job, you yeah, know, been I, faithful. I always say that that's the only time in history that a missionary has said that the mission is complete. Yeah, there's that's never so awesome. there's never been another mission trip yeah. where the entire kingdom was converted. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, go on. And 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 Bingham was correct. Uh, It was no longer a mission station. But Bingham himself was a little flawed too. You know, uh, as Christians, we kind of idolize these guys, which we shouldn't, right? We should not have idols at all. But um, yet he he wasn't a perfect Christian either. Um, This is what he said. He said, the Spirit of God is showered down upon the whole extent of the Sandwich Islands. Well, that's pretty good, right? Uh, so the Spirit of God is showered down upon the whole extent of the Sandwich Islands. And those of us who have seemed to think the gospel could hardly gain a lodgment in the heart of this people because of alleged stupidity or ignorance oh. or want or conscience are now constrained to admit 
that they can be as readily affected by the Spirit of God as any class of men with whom we have been acquainted. Wow. Did you hear Hiram Bingham stop being a racist mid-paragraph there? Right? He, he said, well, even guys like me who left their life in New England to bring the gospel because it was so important, even guys like me still thought that yeah. it wouldn't be effective yeah. because of my prejudice against yeah, you. Yeah. So, you know, we see what I call the residue of racism even on many of the, the yeah, missionaries. Yeah, yeah. But, again, uh, to question the ambition of a man like Hiram Bingham, who was a upper-middle-class citizen in New England, um, who had the luxuries of that life, friends, family, um, he left all of that and, and risked his life uh, to bring the gospel message to Hawaii. That part is also true. Yeah. Did Any, he have issues? He had issues. <laughs> like all of us. Yeah. But, it, but if anything, maybe then, maybe even he comes to realize this is a work of God. Yeah. You know? I think it's not him. It, it's, it's, yeah, his Christianity was refined. Yeah. When he spent time in Hawaii. Yeah. And we got to remember, these guys were young when they came. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they were yeah. old when they left. Yeah, so they learned a lot along the way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you know, it's a kind of a love-hate relationship with guys like Hiram Bingham, you know. Yeah, but yeah. as a Christian, it's a love-love relationship. But <laughs> you, you know, you, you read stuff like that, and it's like, oh, that's kind of awe that to say like <laughs> you never really thought that we could understand, but I guess now, you know, yeah. okay, well, thanks for bringing the Bible, <laughs> you know. So, and it, and and that's just an example of of one of the early missionaries. Now, for the most part, the early missionaries, um, they, tried, they tried to keep it in accordance with God's will, and, and they tried to abide by the ABCFM's own bylaws, which prevented um, personal gain or the ownership of land or payment for your services. It, it was a communal stock program. So what would happen is people in New England would donate to the mission in Boston and then it would be sent directly to the missionaries. And that's how they sustained themselves. Mm. They weren't allowed to go, okay, I'm going to become a pig farmer and I'm going to make money on the side. That mm. was strictly forbidden. And, and for the most part, the early missionaries stuck to that. Dr. Holman, who was the first uh, mission doctor, did not. Almost immediately, he starts to kind of work his own personal gain into mm. the mission. And he's, uh, he's excommunicated and kicked off the mission. Oh, goes wow. back to the mainland and dies like within a month. Oh wow! So you know, um, they didn't mess around. Yeah, they kicked you. They kicked you off the team if you if you tried to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. No, but that that was in the early mission. The later we get in the 1800s, the more unchristlike uh, the quote unquote missionaries and descendants of missionaries become. Mm-hmm. And by the time 1893 rolls around, it's a pretty dark uh, mm-hmm. time for the church because. We have the white church members uh, mostly advocating for um, the United States and, and annexation. And then you have almost all of the Native Hawaiian Christians fighting for the independence of, of their kingdom and, and the reinstatement of their queen. Wow. So kind of a, a very, very divisive uh, time for the body of Christ in Hawaii. Wow. And you got to remember, when we say 98% of all the citizens are Christian, that means like everybody is part of the body of Christ and if you're an annexationist or if you're pro-monarchy, now that's a huge divide in the church. Like, I mean, we, we deal with it today, right? It's yeah. like you go to church and you get the, you know, your Republicans sit on this side and your Democrats sit on this side, right? But um, a very divisive time. for Democrats don't come to church. No, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just joking. <laughs> he sit them outside. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, yeah, yeah. We, we know a little bit about um, division in the body of Christ, but I can, I can only imagine what it was like for them. Yeah. And especially for the Hawaiian Christians to be feeling so betrayed yeah. by, um, you know, these men and women that, um, their grandparents and parents had, had brought yeah. the love of Jesus Christ. And now they were attempting to steal yeah. the kingdom that had dedicated itself to that love. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, on the premise that it wasn't a Christian nation. That was their whole platform. Is then no, they're savages. You got, and we, they can't be in charge. We wow. got to be in charge. Wow. Yeah. So pretty. And uh, here, I'll read you some of the stuff that was actually said. Um, 
one of the shadiest characters was a guy named Sereno Bishop, who's a, you know, is a kahu, is a is a Christian pastor, but he um. He he said some crazy things. I'll, I'll read it for you. Okay. He says this takes us back to the point first made that the people of Hawaii must be a party to the contract for annexation. Here's the very question to be settled. Who are the real people of Hawaii? Are they the descendant uh, and dwindling race of Aboriginal Hawaiians who still linger in the land, a feeble and inefficient people pushed aside from active life by the swarming... Uh, Asiatics and vigorous whites? Or are they not rather the fresh, active, brainy white race who have by their skill and energy created the great wealth and the thriving commerce of the islands, who own what they have thus created, and who are manifestly the heirs of the future of Hawaii, rather than the weak native race. Whites must govern by reason of their superior capacity and force. The whites of Hawaii have become the real people of Hawaii. Wow. And that was written by Sereno Bishop and published in the newspaper under the pen name Kamehameha. Whoa. How dare. Yeah. For a long time, he would publish weekly blasphemous statements about Hawaiian Christians and about Hawaiians in general. And he signed those letters Kamehameha. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. Uh, and he says this. I do not reckon the Kamehameha letters as a work in which I shall particularly rejoice in the future life, although I hope they have done some service in a good cause. So he's basically saying, I'm probably going to hell for this, but as long as we win, said the Kahu of the church, right? Who grew up in Hana, by the way, Sereno Bishop. Yeah, grew up in Hana. And um, um, shout out to Dr. Ron Williams. I'm I'm taking all this Sereno Bishop information from him. So if you follow him on on, uh, social media, um, he really has some some good information. So shout out to Dr. Ron. Not plagiarizing. Um, and, and that's just one example of terrible things that um, self-professing Christians and pastors, pastors were doing. You yeah. know, Sereno Bishop was a pastor. Um, there's a few other guys. Uh, uh, there's another man named Charles McEwen Hyde. And I'll try and find a quote from him too. He's one of the original trustees um, for Kamehameha Schools. And as far as the public was concerned, this God-fearing, you know, loving guy. Um, let me find it for you real quick. If I can, sorry. Oh, okay. And this is, uh, this is what it says on his Wikipedia page. Hyde mentored native Hawaiians who wanted to enter the Christian ministry, and he helped provide small pack, smallpox vaccinations for a population. He quickly picked up the Hawaiian language in order to converse with the indigenous population and began delivering his sermons in Hawaiian. Hyde and his wife tried to instill work ethics into the Hawaiian males and teach housekeeping skills to the women. They also opened their home to the local population and often provided monetary assistance to those in need. He helped provide smallpox vaccinations for the local population. For the Hawaiian men who wanted to serve as Christian ministers, Hyde became a mentor. Um, he's described with a bio on the current Kamehameha Schools website. He was, a, as a founding trustee, a gifted administrator and educator. He was asked by the American Board of Missions to train Hawaiian pastors. He and his wife left for Honolulu in 1877. Learning Hawaiian quickly, he began lecturing in, the, in Hawaiian at the North Pacific Missionary Institute. He served for 24 years and saw pulpits filled with his students. Um, now let's hear um, what Pastor Hyde says in his own personal letters to his friends he says on Kamehameha schools we do not want higher education at all in the Kamehameha schools provision for that will be made in other ways in exceptional cases the average Hawaiian has no such capacity Reverend Charles McEwen Hyde April 8th 1893 wow 
Yeah, uh, on January 17th, this is what he said. Hawaiians only three generations removed from barbarism are not fitted for self-government. They cannot reason logically. And this is what he says about the queen. She's her own stubborn, wicked choice of evil with all its consequences that characterize her actions as those of a perverse, willful woman, not the victim of either superstition or bad advice. He writes that to the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. See, they're trying to, they're trying to underplay the Christianity of the... The, yeah, yeah. the queen is... She's not even a Christian. Yeah. Right? And on Her Majesty's appointment of uh, the new cabinet, which included Joseph Navahi, who's... Joseph Navahi was a legendary Hawaiian patriot and Christian. He said, she appointed a weak and brainless set of men as she could have found, thinking only that they would be subservient tools. Wow. <laughs> which is not true, which is not true. Yeah. Men like Joseph Navahi and Inoka Timoteo, there was a rumor that, that the queen was buddying up with Dole. And when they heard that rumor, they actually rebuked the queen. And the queen responds by, by commending their patriotism. You would even rebuke your queen for your kingdom. You know? So she calls those men the greatest Hawaiian patriots. Mm. They were Christians. You know, mm. They were Christians. Um, on a vote... Uh, on annexation that would include Hawaiians. So in claiming that the rights of the Hawaiians should be respected, it would be very much the same as demanding that one of the wild Indians of the plains should be accorded all the rights and privileges of American citizenship without any regard to his fitness for the responsibilities of such a position. Mm. And then on what form of government that they should create after the monarchy. He says, to make a Republic of Hawaii with Hawaiians as chief officials would be like making governors and judges of the Negro field hands in the southern states. Wow. Wow. We're not done. He says, but the truth is the Hawaiians must be left out of the plans for the future unless they will come into the new order of things with ideas and methods utterly foreign to their ways of thinking and doing. They are utterly unfit as well as unfitted for the complicated political machinery of the 19th century. They have been out of the current of civilization so long that they cannot catch on as the modern locomotive, as the locomotive of modern progress rushes along their way. Which is amazing when you consider that we had global recognition, we had a constitution, we had electricity and lights in our palace, and we were the furthest thing from what he's saying we were. Yeah, yeah. It's so sad how something so great and good that was going on, it's like the enemy's influence, mm -hmm. you know, can come in and change things and change a nation and turn hearts and minds and mm -hmm. the whole annexation with the president, all that. I, I just think it's a sad part. Yeah. And it, it would be, I mean, it would be less sad for us if, if they weren't pastors yeah. and Christians. Right. I right. mean, these are the leaders of the church that yeah. are diabolical. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that we all have to check our hearts. Yeah. You know, what, what is our motive? I mean, I've been talking about that in church anyway, you guys know, um, in our studies in First Peter. But, you know, it's, it, we all have to check our hearts. Is, yeah. it, is it about me? You know, is it about my status I want or money or wealth or power or, you know, mm -hmm. position, all of that. And so, yeah, it's, it's very um, evil and yeah. wicked to... Really, say false things yeah. to get your agenda done. Yeah. Selfishness, the the yeah. the anti-Christian quality. Yeah. Yeah. Selfishness at its yeah. finest. It's yeah. what we find in yeah. in men like that. So, yeah. and it doesn't stop there. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, uh, here I'll read. So, in in 1831, Dwight Baldwin and Charlotte Fowler Baldwin were sent uh, by the American Board of Commissioners, the ABCFM, medical missionaries to the Sandwich Islands, and. Uh, Reverend William Alexander, Mary McKinney Alexander arrived the following year. Alexander and Baldwin was founded by their son, Samuel Thomas Alexander and Henry Pirine Baldwin. And so they weren't missionaries. They were businessmen. Yeah. And not always honest, yeah. you know. On December 14, 1836, 
the castle sailed from Boston on the Mary Fraser, uh, Juliet Montague, and Amos Starr. What a name, yeah, Juliet Montague. Like, yeah, uh, and Amos Starr Cook were on the same ship, the eighth company of missionaries from the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, which arrived in April 9th, 1837. These families started Castle and Cook. So you have Alexander Baldwin, you have Castle and Cook. Um, that's not all watch I'll get to. <laughs> Nathaniel Bright Emerson, son of missionaries John and Ursula Emerson. John L. Stevens. These are the, these are the guys that overthrew the monarchy, right? John L. Stevenson, Stevenson attended Maine Wesleyan Seminary. Man, a Wesleyan. Yeah, uh, to prepare for a minister's career in the Universalist Church where he served as pastor for a decade. Um, Sanford B. Dole was one of the primary characters in the overthrow and imprisonment of the queen. He was the son of Daniel Dole, his Protestant missionary who sailed on the Ninth Company to the Hawaiian Islands. Lauren A. Thurston, kind of like the co-captain of the bad guys as far as we're concerned. Um, uh, he was a descendant. His, his father was Asa Goodall Thurston and his mother was Sarah Andrews. On his father's side, he was the grandson of Asa and Lucy Goodall Thurston, who were in the first company of American Christian missionaries in 1820. And on his mother's side, he was also the grandson of another early missionary, Lauren Andrews. So he's got missionary stock coming out of his ears. And he's, he's basically um, one of the main guys that wow. helped to overthrow the monarchy. So. That's so sad, you know. It's yeah. so sad that how good it started and then... In a way, they're disrespecting their parents, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Of course, the Lord. But, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I totally believe that their grandparent, you know, missionary, yeah. missionary grandparents would not have approved of yeah. what they were doing. Yeah. And another thing to remember is that most of these men are not from America. Yeah. They're from Hawaii. Yeah, they're yeah. born and raised in the kingdom of Hawaii, had yeah. kingdom citizenship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what would happen in many cases with the, the sons and daughters of, of the missionaries, <clears throat> one thing the missionaries did bad is that they segregated their own children mm. from, from the Hawaiian mm. kids. And so schools like Punahou were founded as, as a white school. Mm. Punahou was founded only for white kids to go to. Wow. Um, and it was a way to keep uh, those kids from mingling with, with the Hawaiian kids. They shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And then on top of that, when their children came of age, they would send them back to the East Coast to go to college. And they would come back a few years later with master's degrees in racism. Oh. So they would leave this aloha-filled Christian environment in Hawaii, go back to the East Coast, and just be surrounded with prejudiced, racist Americans. Yeah. And that would, would rub off on them, and then they would come back to Hawaii, and they yeah. would think that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, wow. that, that's kind of what happened with, with many of the um, sons and daughters of the missionaries. Yeah. Well, we're still here yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> today yeah. trying to move forward the cause of Christ. Yeah. Know, and all. Um, before we end, I, I wanted to get to any of these things you wanted to share. Yes. Yeah, so artifacts and documents and things. All those terrible... Um, Letters, Kamehameha letters, and, and those terrible quotes from Sereno Bishop, they were written in uh, this newspaper right here. So this is a copy of... This is how the propaganda was spread. Uh, many of these men owned or controlled newspapers. And so they would flood the newspapers with propaganda against the monarchy. And that's where Sereno Bishop would publish all of his nonsense, where it was in um, And that's newspapers. titled The Friend? Yeah, it was called The Friend. Not the article, but the newspaper itself, yeah. and yeah. and it wasn't a good newspaper. It was yeah. filled with a lot of yeah. a lot of lies. Yeah, yeah. so um, that was one of the tactics that they used—the fake news thing. It's wow. not a new phenomenon. They've been doing that for a long, long ever since there was news, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that's what this is. And um, on a happier note, <laughs> these things right here. This is a picture of the Morning Star. I'll hold it up which is the um, ship that took the gospel to Micronesia, to the Marshall Islands. Oh. And so if you don't From know... Hawaii? Yeah, if you don't know the story of 
um, the gospel's arrival in Micronesia, it was native Hawaiian missionaries that took the gospel uh, there during the midst of our great awakening. Wow. So at one time, there were only four ordained uh, ministers of, that were native Hawaiian. One of them was David Malo, and he was here. And the other three were in Micronesia. Wow. Yeah, so um, most of the ordain, and that was a problem, right? They weren't ordaining Hawaiians because they didn't want to lose control of the church. But the ones that they did ordain went to be missionaries in, uh, in Marshall Island. And the most famous of them is James Kakela. And the reason he's the most famous is because when he was on mission there, 30 years on mission there, um, there was a shipwrecked American who got captured by um, some of the native people there, and they had in mind to eat him. And so Kekela convinces them not to kill him, and then, you know, stitches him up and sends him back to America. Well, he's, one, uh, he's a childhood best friend of, or good friend of Abraham Lincoln, who's the president of the United States of America at oh, that wow. time. And so Abraham Lincoln sends James Kekela an engraved pocket watch thanking him for saving his friend's life. And they have that pot. We still have, not us, I think Bishop has it, but it's an actual artifact that they have wow. with the engraving and everything. Wow. So the gospel went to um, Micronesia because of native Hawaiian missionaries. And this is a picture of the boat. And this is an actual um, like ownership, share and ownership. See, it is the owner of one share in... Uh, the Morning Star. So you would buy shares in the boat. This is how they would fund their mission trip. They would sell shares in the boat. And that's how they would fund the mission to go. Wow. So as a church fundraiser, they would say, hey, who wants to buy you know, one share in the Morning Star? It's only going to cost you $2. Wow. Right? And, wow. and people would, and then they would give you this. Here, you're owner of the Morning Star. Wow. So we got a bunch of these. This is from 1904. Wow. And the Morning Star missions continued well after the overthrow, even after annexation. Um, Christian Hawaiians continued to be Christian Hawaiians, wow. despite all of the political chaos that was happening at home. Wow. They continued to send the gospel missionaries to other parts of the world. That's awesome. You know who the captain of, of uh, the Morning Star was? Hiram Bingham. What? Not the old man, though, but the third, I believe. Really? Second or third. Yeah, yeah he was the captain. Also the guy that discovered Machu Picchu. Yeah, he didn't know that. Yeah, wow. yeah. For whatever reason, the Lord decided that the Binghams would be involved in indigenous wow. work of some sort. So, wow. yeah, a Hiram Bingham uh, was the man that discovered, rediscovered Machu Picchu. Wow, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, and there's a, you know, we talked. To, this is the last one I'll show you guys because I think we're running out of time. Yeah, um, this is a French newspaper from 1843, June 1843. And in it right here, you can see it says, Timoteo Ha'alilio, William Richards, Envoy de S.M. Leroy Kamehameha III. So this is, this is when they were in France on that global um, tour getting uh, recognition for wow. the kingdom of Hawaii. Wow. Wow. So... If you know the um, history of the Paulette affair when the United States, oh, not the United States, when, when the Kingdom of Hawaii was overthrown before the United States, you guys knew that one, right? Uh, before America overthrew the Kingdom of Hawaii in, in 1893, that the British did it in 1843. And, and uh, that's called the Paulette affair. Um, it was from February 25th to July 31st, 1843. And um, what's cool is this newspaper is from June 1843. Oh, wow. So the Paulette Affair is, is, Hawaii is still occupied at this time. And what this newspaper is, is the French saying how illegal and ridiculous it is that the British have overthrown the independent, Christian, recognized nation oh. of Hawaii. At the time, there were tensions between England and France, so they would take any opportunity to say, look at these, what these Brits are doing, taking over the Hawaiian Islands. Yeah. Of course, the, the wrong was righted by Queen Victoria, who gave back Hawaii's independence. So, oh, and that's wow. why we celebrate La Ho'i Ho'i Ea, is the Hawaiian Independence Day, oh. is because we had been 
uh, overthrown by the British before oh, that. I didn't so that. what's cool about this is that it's from that exact era, and it's the historical evidence right here that these two reverends, these two Christian patriots, are uh, the ones that are fighting for the independence of Hawaii. William Richards is the personal Bible teacher of Nahiena'ena and Kuikioli. He's buried next to uh, the kings and queens in Waina'e Cemetery. Wow. Wow. He was an ABCFM missionary who realized that to best serve the monarchy, he had to leave the mission because the mission, um, it forbade mixing politics with ministry. So he couldn't be a, a, you know, a consultant to the king and queen if he was still going to be a missionary. Hmm. So he had to leave the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, and he also renounced his American citizenship wow. and became a full-blown citizen of the Kingdom of Hawaii, wow. where he lived and died the rest of his life, wow. fighting for the independence of the Christian nation. Wow. Yeah. And he was here from just about the beginning wow. of it. Wow. So that's what this one is right here. I don't know if you guys can see that. But. Well... We got an end here, and we're over time. But uh, thank you again. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, gosh, there's so much to talk about and hear about. Yeah, know? this is just the the very, very, very tip of the iceberg. There's, yeah, yeah. It's a million more things to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Well, let's pray, and um, we'll do one last song. And um, uh, let me pray for you, Lord God. We thank you for tonight, and I thank you so much for Pastor Kyle. Just. Everything that he shared, God, even the reality of uh, the bad side of, of the, some of the missionaries and the, the next generations, the kids and all, and the things that happen. And God, we know the reality, even in our own church and the church in general, God, it's not perfect. But I thank you for what Pastor Kyle said about, uh, but you're perfect, Jesus, and we want to be real about that, too, and growing in you and becoming more like you, Jesus, in godliness and holiness. And so help us in that way, each one of us. And we lift up Pastor Kyle to you as he uh, goes around and sharing this, these things, God, and the, the truth, Lord, of, of what happened through those years in the 1800s and how good or bad, Lord, Thank you that you're, you're still working. You still sent a boat to Micronesia. Lord, you still uh, was moving despite all that, I feel like, what the enemy wanted to do in bringing down, Lord, uh, Christianity and furthering your kingdom. But, so I pray for Pastor Kyle that you continue to empower him, open up opportunities, Lord. Um, give him, Lord, the boldness, Lord, and courage to share the truth that he finds and to... God, use them in a mighty way to change the mind of those who who have been believing false things for so long, God, but finding the truth, Lord, about you and you and what really happened in the 1800s and in the kingdom of Hawaii. So, God, be with them. We lift them up. Bless his family, the new baby, his son, his wife, Taryn, and just continue to um, use him in a mighty way and the different things he does, Lord, is youth pastor and camps and all the different things, teaching. But Lord, may he draw close to you and take these things that he shared with us tonight in the past months, God. And uh, may you speak through him and may you use him for your glory, God, that in the end we all see you, Jesus, in all of your power and might, that you are mighty to save and you do forgive. And thank you for that, God. So we lift them up to you and thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.